0: Hello and welcome to Clout, a podcast profiling Australia's future leaders in Asia. I'm Brodie Burns-Williamson.
1: And I'm Lucy Du. Thanks for joining us.
0: So each week we talk to Aussies making an impact in their community to learn about the dash of language, the pinch of culture and the blind luck that led them to where they are today.
1: We ask our guests to take us on their journey to Asia capability by sharing with us their choice of food, Song, show, and person to help us understand what being an Aussie with clout is all about. My guest today is Emma Pitt, an experienced professional in financial services and higher education in Australia and China. In her first year of uni, Emma took a break to spend six months teaching English to students in the tiny city of Suhong in Jiangsu Province, China. I met Emma in Shanghai in 2014, a fellow Melbournian, and we became very good friends during our time in Shanghai, my Jing'an neighbour, with a shared love for a good wine, foot massage, and hot pot session. Despite never taking any finance courses, Emma embarked on a banking career at one of the big four banks, which brought her from Melbourne to Shanghai. Upon returning to Australia, Emma pivoted into a more internationalised environment in the Australian higher education sector. We asked Emma to take us on her journey to Asia capability by nominating a food, a song, a movie and person that help us understand what being an Aussie with clout is all about. Let's start with your nomination of person who have you nominated today?
2: Well, first of all, thank you very much, Lucy, for such a lovely introduction. It's really lovely and funny hearing that whole story
1: put into words.
2: The person I've chosen is my childhood friend, Muyan, who will probably be listening to this podcast because I will send it to her and I (laughs) hope that she may be a guest in future. So in 1996, I was at school And there was a request because there was a new girl starting the next day and she was going to be coming to our school from Beijing. Mm. And in those days, as you very well know, because you came at a very similar time, Mm. this was 1996, I think you said you came in 1994, there were no Chinese kids at school from mainland China, not in the leafy suburbs of Armadale (laughs) especially, I I would say. So Mu came, they asked volunteers to buddy up and help her settle in, which I did. And Muyun came, which was common in those days and probably still is, with her mum, who was sponsored to be an economics professor at Monash Uni. And her dad stayed back in China to yeah. work. They came together. And because Joanna obviously wanted to go back to China quite often to see her husband and for work, whenever she went back, Muyun would come and stay with my family. So we became really, really close friends. And I can remember that At the beginning, all she could say was, Where is the bathroom? I think it was even, Where is the washroom? (laughs) And she had one of those little do you remember the little translators, like little computerized translators? And you could type in the word or she could write the character. Very high tech. So high tech, really was. And that's how we got by with that and dictionaries and drawings. And she learned English super quickly because she was, you know, very Mm. intelligent and it was total immersion. And so, yes, we had a lifetime friendship. And then when I was, I think, 16 or 17, Muyin's mum pulled me aside and she was really, really lovely. She was just reminiscing about the early days and how glad she was that Muyin made a friend early because she'd been so nervous about what it would be like for Muyin at school. And she said, I just want to thank you for helping and being so nice in those early days. And I was thinking, oh, this is really nice So. Lovely. (laughs) And then she suddenly says, but you know what? Muyin did so well to learn English and you never bothered to learn any Chinese. (laughs) Uh. And just a few months prior, this organisation had come to my school called Gap Activity Projects, which is now called Latitude, to talk about volunteering opportunities for a gap year after you finished school. And one of the places you could go was China. Mm. So I thought, okay, perhaps this is the time to go to China. So I uh, signed up and went to Sihong in 2004
1: to teach English. Would you say that it was because of Muyun and maybe a bit of a push by Joanna that you ended up deciding to pursue Chinese? It definitely was. Absolutely was because of them. In
2: 1996 in Melbourne, no kids were really aware about China or thinking about China. So it was absolutely due to them coming to Melbourne and that fostering of my interests by her mum, like bringing Mm. things back from China. I can remember we had to do a school project once where we could choose anywhere that we wanted to travel in the world and Joanna brought back all these brochures with Guilin in them Mm. and I was just captivated by those mountains and, you know, the rivers and I did my project about China. Thanks to them that I went on this journey, journey. I suppose you'd say.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great. And Muyin, you're definitely the next guest on this show. So <laughs> I'll get I've Emma her, to, her in. <laughs> to put us in touch. Yes. yes. Well, now do you want to tell us what you have nominated as your song? Sure. Yes. I picked a real mouthful of a song. So
2: I've nominated Da Lung. 2002, the Very first good. snows of 2002. Yeah, yes. And I think you're going to play a little snippet of it because I am. it's yeah, it's one of those songs that people might think, "What's that?" But if you've been to China, you've heard this song. I'm yeah, sure.
1: Let's have a listen.
0: How did you come to first hear
1: it?
2: As you mentioned in the intro, after my first semester of uni, I went to Sehong to do the volunteering as an English teacher. And Sehong is in Jiangsu province in the north, like quite close to Shandong. And it's a farming fishing area. And at that time, 2004, it was really, really undeveloped. And I was at the number five middle school. So the students were really from tough, upbringings like they were from all the little very 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 tiny 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 towns scattered across the north of Jiangsu and so the town itself it's unrecognisable now as this common Mm. story in China but it was probably a little as we all were back in those days we're a bit slow to come to new songs so although that song I think came out in 2003 or maybe even 2002 in 2004 in song, that was the only song that was being played <laughs> everywhere in the supermarket, in the restaurants. All the kids had the little DVD single or whatever we had back then. And it's just such a great track. Like, it's very emotive kind of sounding song. It is. I love that track. And also learning Chinese, like, although... I kind of still stumble over it, but, like, you can pick up words from that song mm. quite easily. There's, like, lots of familiar
1: yeah. familiar words. Have you tried to sing it at karaoke? Yeah, I have.
2: Of course I have. <laughs> <laughs> that song was already special to me. So that was 2004. And then in 2007 I went back to China on an exchange to Beijing. And at the beginning before I went for the, like, January, February mm. semester. I think I was a semester before you went to yeah. Tsinghua. Yeah. I went to Beida. And it was the year of the peak, I remember, in Beijing. And it was the first time in maybe five years or ten years that people were allowed to set off their own fireworks and firecrackers wow. again after a long period of bans. Yeah, And I can remember hearing on the radio that the next day only eight people had died. <laughs> oh <my laughs> <goodness>. Only eight. I was <laughs> like, oh. Gosh. Anyhow, so it was great. We celebrated the Spring Festival in Beijing. I was with Muyun and her family again and her family were fortunate enough to get invited to a performance at the Great Hall of the People. So lucky for me, I got to go as well mm. and it was really quite something because I think anyone who's been as a tourist to Beijing has been to the exterior and maybe into the lobby area Mm. but to actually go to an event inside was really special and I was very excited and it was really fascinating but I think, as I said to you earlier, after a bit of time, it was a little bit boring because I didn't <laughs> I didn't know any of the performers and I couldn't really understand what was being said. So I was a bit tired and thinking should have learned Chinese. I thinking, better, Chinese. Learned better Chinese. <laughs> Chinese. That's what I'm here to do. I was yeah. about to start at Beida. Exactly. And then suddenly this performer walked out on the stage and it was Da Lang and That's he sang incredible. that song again and I was really emotional. I was like, wow, I know this song. And he just did it beautifully and... He's a great performer. That's why I've picked that song that kept coming wow. back
1: over and over. Full circle, the yes. song that kind of reminded or brought you to China. China. And then yes. brought you back to China and connected with the friend who got you studying Chinese and yep. made you fall in love with big, the culture yeah, in China. It was a big circle. So amazing. Yes. Our next is movie. So yes. you have chosen. In the Mood for Love as your movie now. Yes. which you haven't seen, Lucy. I may which be is the amazing. Only person who has not seen it. Emma's about to kick me out of her house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just love it. It's just a beautiful film. Tell us film. a bit about it or mm. tell me a little bit about it. Sure.
2: So it's a Wong Kar Wai film, probably his most famous movie, I would say. I should say before I go on that I nearly picked The Wandering Earth, which I know you've seen because we saw it together.
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) The sci-fi movie that
2: Barack Obama loves the book. But In the Move for Love is this gorgeous, very beautifully set film in Hong Kong in the 1950s or 60s, I want to say, and it's about a man and a woman who move into the same apartment building Mm -hmm. in Hong Kong and I guess back in the day it was quite common to have a shared kitchen area Mm. and then just the little rooms off the kitchen area Mm. so they effectively live in the same apartment really with a bunch of other people and unbeknownst to them their respective husband and wife are having an affair with each other sorry plot spoiler maybe (laughs) so they don't know that obviously when they move in but their spouses have chosen to live there because they're having an affair with each other And then as time goes on, these two also fall in love because they have been so hurt by what their partners have done to them. They never act upon their feelings. So it's just this beautiful exercise in restraint and there's just scene after scene where you can just see how much they love each other and they never act upon it. And it's just gorgeous, the dresses, Maggie Chung with a different Chi Pao in every scene. It's beautiful. And towards the end of the film, Tony Leong moves to Singapore. He's a journalist and he goes there for work. So they're separated forever. And there's one point, maybe I shouldn't spoil it, but <laughs> no you know, spoilers. So no spoilers, but needless to say, they don't end up together, but that's the way it feels that it should end. So it's a beautiful film. It's just so Hong Kong. It's just like Hong Kong. I really don't know what Hong Kong people feel about the film, whether they like yeah. it or not. I've never really asked, but I think for someone who dreams of going to Hong Kong, it's just a beautiful film.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely need to need to need to watch it, it. and the music is amazing. Yes, yeah. Yeah. We'll play the theme from the theme song. Let's end with my favourite topic, food. What have you picked today? So I've picked xiaolongxia,
2: which I think you would feel was entirely predictable because when we were living in Shanghai, I wanted to eat it every day. Every day. Basically. Yeah.
1: Yep. I think um, that was one of the first meals you cooked for me when I came back to Australia. Yes, you can get great, like, pre-packaged yes. ones.
2: Yes. So Xiaolong Xia is, I've since learned, also very popular in New Orleans and the southern states. It's a Creole dish as well. They're like little yabbies mm. and in China they cook them in a variety of ways but my favourite is in nice spicy peppery mm. sauce, great with the nice cold beer. And the reason I picked this is because, as you mentioned in the introduction, I uh, went to China most recently in 2014 with ANZ. So I was very lucky to get a position working in their retail franchise, which they've since sold from 2014 to 2017. So I think I was mentioning to you earlier, and you said in the introduction I didn't study. I did do a commerce degree, but I didn't study any finance or accounting, and I was not interested in economics <laughs> or anything. So if you had have told me I'd end up working in banking for almost ten years, I would have thought you were crazy. But at that time, ANZ they had a new CEO, Mike Smith, who had come from HSBC, and the bank had bought a Royal Bank of Scotland's assets across Asia. So they were having a play in retail banking in China. So I was very lucky that I got into the grad program at ANZ primarily, I think, because I was interested in working in China Mm. and could speak some Chinese. And I don't think I ever would have worked in banking otherwise, but it worked out very, very well for me. And I did the grad program, then I was working in a marketing function in Melbourne, and I a colleague, Victor who then became my boss because he was from Hong Kong, his wife, Shanghainese. So they moved to Shanghai. And about two years later, he was hiring and Mm. contacted me and had lots of faith in me to go up to China and work for him. So that was great. And, you know, it was just being an expat in China or being an expat anywhere is, is fabulous, but especially in a place that you really, really wanted to live and work. So That was a special time. And then where I'm going off track here, the the food.
0: (laughs) The food. The food. food.
2: So I think, yeah, I I was just thinking about it and I felt that that was a dish that my Shanghai colleagues, because I was working in retail banking, most of my colleagues were Shanghai local Mm. people. And it was a little difficult to break through because I don't know if it's a stereotype or it's true, but Shanghai people are probably a little less outgoing than some other regions of China. And also... The language obviously is different. So sitting next to everybody all day, I had no idea what anybody was talking your years about.
1: Of Chinese and your Mandarin. It was not was not, not helpful. Say, no, not <laughs> no, not true. But
2: yeah, it was a little yeah, hard to break through, sure. I guess. But the Sialan Syle was something that they loved, that I loved. And we were regional specialties. Uh Although I think people from Wuhan will tell me that Xiaolongxia is better in
0: Wuhan. Oh.
2: But the Shanghainese people <laughs> will definitely say it's great in Shanghai. So, yes, I do feel that like that food and all food in general really helped me to bond with colleagues at ANZ and also to find a lot of friends because mm-hmm. we had many great times in Shanghai on Xioninglu eating cheap yes. Xiaolongxia yes. and various other seafoods.
0: I love yes. that.
1: Yeah. Yes. Oh, what a great story. And I think, you know, it sounds like without going back to your first nomination of Muyun, you know, you would have never maybe thought of studying Chinese. Never tried Shaolongshan, <laughs> realized it was your favorite food. Never moved to Shanghai, which yes. meant that we would have never met. Yes. And you know, ANZ would have lost a great asset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll definitely have to get Yun back. We'll get okay, get on, this on show. the podcast.
2: Yes. But no, in all seriousness, China and Chinese has been a real common thread throughout my life now. Mm. Through school and uni and my first job and you know, my best job being in Shanghai. So I'm very, very, very glad and lucky that I learned even it's an exaggeration to say it was because of Chinese. That's why I really like in your description of this podcast that it's not just about language because language mm. is obviously very, very important. But even if you're not naturally a linguist, mm. you can still find a passion for other parts of a culture. Mm. Mm.
1: Great way to end. Thank Thank you, Emma. Thanks, Lucy.